HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in where? Bushwick. <laughs> Bushwick, Brooklyn. That's that Bushwick. Give me the face. Give me the Bushwick face. I can't anymore. Ah, uh, it's, 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 she's dead inside. Now, this is something tell you something about Stas. Once she gets to a certain point, she's just dead inside. You know what I mean? You're no longer even worth disdain. Like, disdain takes energy, people. Does. Yes, Calling your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Sadly, we are not joined today in the... Yeah, I don't know where she is. Oh, oh no. Jack. Yeah. And this, yes, Rebecca, don't know our, uh, our live tweeting guru, is, uh, is not here. And she quit already. Wow. <laughs> Strong. Uh, well, it wouldn't be the first time, right? Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. Um, but we have Liz in the booth today. How are you doing, Liz? I'm great. I'm just going to answer your first few calls here and get the get the show on the road, man. You got so many fans, so eager. Oh, here we so go. kind, so kind. We have a caller right now? Yeah. So today, Nastasia and I are going to taste uh, the cider that I made. Maybe if we have time, talk about how uh, you know how I made it, how it's a little different from regular cider. Uh, I had some other things if we can get, dig it, if we have time to get to it. I have the new... Pharos Grinder from Orphan Espresso, the coffee grinder, and I can do a little on-air review of that. Uh, spoiler alert, I, need to, I needed to do some modifications to it to make it exactly kind of the way I wanted to, so we could talk about that later if we have time. But do we have a caller right now? We do. All right, caller, you are on the air. Hey, Dave, Nastasha, not Jack, unfortunately. This is Antoine from Booker Tone. Oh, how are you doing? all doing? Uh, he will be sad he missed your call. <laughs> um, today's question is about uh, simple syrups, how to make them shelf-stable. And then also, I took your orgeat recipe, and unfortunately, whenever I mix it with acid, it, like, clumps up, and I didn't know if you had any workaround with that. Yeah. So the usually when you get clumping on that, and you're using it, like, in a, in a shaking cocktail, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, usually what that means is you have kind of a high uh, amount of nut solids left in, which, by the way, one of my favorite words, nut solids. You like that one, Stas? Mm-hmm. That's kind of a good one. That's mm-hmm. on the that's a Nastasia approved term, nut solids. But the um, and there's a couple of workarounds on it. Um, like a, you you put the ticoloid in. Yes. You could hit it with a little more. Uh, you could hit it with a little more xanthan. I don't really think it's the. I don't think the jacking the Arabic is going to help much. I mean, you could try just upping the the level in the in the overall system, but usually it's the um, usually it's the xanthan that you need to up a little bit, but not a lot, right? So there's very little xanthan in Ticoloid two ten uh, or three ten. It's mostly Arabic, but uh, I think a little bit more xanthan might might help. I mean, maybe adding a little, maybe upping the entire system. Uh, might might help a little bit, but it's definitely a question of like high high nut, high nut solids. Um, I'm trying to think of what we used to solve it just by post blending it, right, Stas? Yep. Like so, like in other words, like when we originally made our uh, like when Stas and I were doing like pecan bourbon sours, we started originally with pure pecan oil. Pure pecan oil will not break at all uh, it, it, with a tickaloid. But when we started adding pecan nut solids back, we would start getting clumping. It would unclump if you just went and like hit it for a second, but you can't really do that at a bar. So I would try to up the I would try to up it a little bit and see see whether you can. Um, See what you can get. I'm trying to think of what else would stabilize it. Huh. Let me think on it. If I think of anything else, I'll, I'll get back to you. Is, is it, but try that and let me know. Let me know how it works because I hate that the cloudy look, that puffy look on the inside of a drink. Yeah, I hate that so much. Don't you hate that? Yeah, I do. It's the worst. Yeah, like you. For instance, like in your recipe, you call for like it's uh, 1.75 tickloid and then 0.2 grams xanthan. How much more would you recommend? Like, I guess going up. What was the base? What was the water base? Uh, just just the water. Like, I, I, I mean, how much water for that much? Or are you talking you, percentages? It's yeah, so what? Six sixty of water. Yeah, I mean, look, try doubling the xanthan and see what happens. It's still a very okay. small amount in the finished drink. You just want the pourability of the orgeat to remain uh, high, and you know, obviously, like blend the crap out of the orgeat before you do it. How are you getting rid of the solids? I'm straining them like five different times. Yeah, it's kind like of with everything I can. Centrifuge is really good at this, but I'm just I'm, saying. I'm unfortunately, just saying. I'm, I'm holding out for uh, a yeah. good one. I've heard is on the way. Yeah, we're 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 even though we haven't officially announced what it is yet, we're still uh, we're already kind of taking suggestions on names. So check out this one. I don't really like. Okay, so like uh, the obvious name is uh, Clearzol, right? Right, that's the obvious uh-huh. name, Clearzol. But the problem is, is that unlike a Searzol, which literally sears all. Like, if it's a food stuff, it is searable, right, with a searzol. I mean, this isn't going to clear everything. It's just going to do, like, a lot of the stuff that we need done. So I wouldn't call it, like, it clears all because I'm a truth and advertising sort of a fellow, even though it does make a certain sort of – you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, so I will try to stabilize eventually – I should try to stabilize eventually some um, just plain strained um, – Nut milk orgeas, but it's got to be just upping the xanthan a little more. Try upping the xanthan in the batch you already have and see what happens, and, and just uh, tweet on back and let me know what happens. Or if anyone okay. else in the Twitter universe there uh, has uh, had experience adding some more stabilization to it, um, just let us let us know. Also, how do you recommend doing like stabilizing just other simple syrups that I might make as well? Oh yeah, yeah, affecting the flavor. That depends on. Um, well, okay, so like uh, you mean stabilize them. 
like shelf stabilizing. Right. The main the main the problem in simple syrups is the is a uh, is kind of yeast and mold formations, right? So mm-hmm. you know, it's all a question of what you want to add. Like a little bit of benzoate will kill like most of the yeasty stuff and stop that from happening. But you know, how long do you want it to last? Uh, a few months at least. But like like make them. Like and what are we talking? Like how? Like can they take heat? Can you throw them in like a vac bag and just like poach them at a low temperature to kill the yeast and then keep them in your fridge? Nothing dangerous is going to grow at fifty percent sugar. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So like yeah. so like what I would do is like throw them into a into a bag, like circ them at a relatively low temperature that's not going to mess with the with the flavor, but is enough to kill you know any kind of yeast kind of stuff, like you know okay. mid fifties somewhere Celsius, and then uh, throw that in the in the fridge, and then refrigerated, uh, you know. Uh, once it's been pasteurized, it should last. You know, I don't think. I mean, someone can get back and tell me I'm wrong, but nothing bad should grow, and uh, no molds will grow after you do that because they're not going to survive that, and no yeasts are going to grow. And I've never had, I've never been contaminated with any sort of like vile bacteria. It's all been kind of yeasts and molds, and uh, and that little bit of heat will do it. Or you could just hit it with something like uh, benzoate, but then you've added benzoate to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so then, like, you know, uh, some people will say they can taste it or some people will think that you're an evil human being for doing it. So, they, you know, just, you know, go the other way. What do you think about adding, like, the tablespoon of vodka around? Oh, I don't know if that's enough. Is it, did, have okay. other people had good luck with that? Uh, I haven't tried it out yet. I didn't, I didn't want to ruin it. Zero, I mean, uh, experimenting with it. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to ruin it. I just don't know if it's enough. You know what I mean? Like, gotcha. so, so you're looking for hurdles, and so if you figure, I mean, you have to figure out how much of your, I mean, r- ha- half of the syrup by weight is by weight is um, water, but uh, but you got to calculate how much water is in it because the density of a regular simple syrup is roughly one one point two one point two three roughly. And so, okay. like a liter of that, a liter of the product will be uh, will weigh one point two three kilos, uh, half of which is water. So there's roughly six hundred and change mils, six hundred and fifteen mils of water in every liter of simple syrup. Okay. Right? And so and so then then you'll know what your alcohol content is, and so like you know a couple of tablespoons and you know is not ever going to get you too high up. But the question is 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 a little bit of alcohol enough to kill uh, or to prevent yeast and mold from growing so long as the sugar content is so high? And that I don't know because I don't know how close you are to the threshold. Now you could you could make rich simples, right? And those. Those are even more stable, but mold, as anyone who has stored maple syrup for long periods of time not in the fridge will tell you, uh, mold will grow on the top of maple syrup. Okay. Solid. And it makes it disgusting. Also, you, ever had, you ever had moldy oh, maple syrup? I have. It's gross. Maple syrup? No, moldy maple syrup. Oh, no, I've never had moldy maple syrup. It's luckily. the worst. It, you know, as good as maple syrup is... That's how bad moldy maple syrup is. I would gotcha. say, like, I would say, here's how I think I would I would rank these kinds of things. Rotten pistachio is the top, right? That's the worst thing in the world. A rotten pistachio. Stas, do you agree? Gross. I've never had one of those uh, bad pine nuts that wipes out your palate for a million years. But a rotten pistachio is way way up there. Maple, like moldy maple syrup, not that bad, but pretty damn bad, especially considering how good you you think it's going to be. Liz, what's your least favorite bad thing? 
Uh, I, I would have to go with when you when you get like the bad pistachio. Yeah, that's like disgusting. It ruins your whole day. I would agree. I would agree. And you know what? It's always like you've eaten a lot of pistachios, and then you get that one, and you were yes. happy. You get in that kind of choo 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 train <laughs> rhythm of eating pistachio pistachio nuts, and then you get that one. And you're like ah ah. But you know the thing is, is that you can kind of look at them and know. So like we used to buy. Like the canned shelled pistachio nuts, and always our syrups were never like as good as they could be. And so then we like would dump. I, w- I made this is why one of the reasons everyone hates me is I would say, okay, you, from now on you're dumping every pistachio nut onto a sheet tray, and you're putting eyeballs on every last pistachio nut because you can look at them. They look first of all the color's not right. A lot of them get a little yellow and oxidized and whatever. They're still okay, but the, you know the wrinkly. It's the wrinkly ones when you're shelling them yourself and you look down, you see that wrinkly pistachio. Nuts. Don't eat it. Don't eat that nut. You know what I'm saying? I just want to blindly shovel them in my mouth, though. So uh, I, I appreciate that. So what you need to do, <laughs> what you need to do, uh, Liz, is is you need to become rich enough that you can have someone who pre sifts your pistachios for you, and then you can blindly shovel them into your. Uh, do you feel the compulsion to break them open, or do you? Can you just have shelled pistachio nuts and you're okay? I, I think I'm okay with the shell. I mean, no, but I mean, but you, you know, you you don't mind having someone pre-shell them for you. Because, oh no, I wouldn't mind that either. I mean, it's life goals right here. Right, right. I mean, for me, there's something about like sitting there and like cracking open the the things that I, that I kind of enjoy. Do you, are you? Did, I know Nastasi never watches stuff. You ever watch James Bond movies? Sure. Yeah. 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 So there was to- Topol, the guy who was in the uh, one of the Fiddle on the Roof movie. Topol was one of the good guys in one of the James Bond movies where they had to climb up some monastery, I think, in Greece. And he had the habit of being able to throw pistachio nuts into his. Here's a life goal for you. He could throw a pistachio nut in the shell in his mouth, eat the pistachio, and spit the shells out. That that, my friends, skill. Wow. Skill. Movie factor. Mo- I ca- yeah. I call movie factor. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we should all we well, should all work on that. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, I wanted to just let you know that Jeremiah Bullfrog sends his regards and he would love to get you down here. Oh my god, he was Florida he was weather. he was in New York uh, but the museum exhibit wasn't open yet, so he sent me a picture of the outside. I, I, I didn't get to talk to him, so hopefully he got to go inside. Hopefully the machines were running this. By the way, the museum opens tomorrow, people. Museum of Food and Drink, sixty two Bayard in Brooklyn. Uh, Jeremiah Bullfrog, excellent, excellent man, as we all know. Museum opens in Brooklyn tomorrow, complete with, and now I'm allowed to tell you about everything in it. Check this out. We have a, uh, it's about the flavor industry. We've talked about this a million times, right? The birth of the flavor industry. Yes. We have these machines called like smell synths that let you play. Like, it's like an arcade game where you mix smells in an arcade game fashion, like an early arcade game. Like, I don't know, like, uh, like Space Invaders. You like Space Invaders? Mm-hmm. It's a good game, Space Invaders. But you're not shooting anything. It's not a first-person shooter. It's not a first-person shooter. But it literally runs off of arcade buttons, and it's got LEDs, no noises. It's going to be fun. Anyway. All right. Uh, so Jack Davis in the chat room likes Spindax as a name for the centrifuge. Spindax? But what about Booker? Booker will be so upset. I don't think – do you think he'll care? Do I think Booker will care? <laughs> I mean, like, I think maybe later in life he'll care. Right now he obviously doesn't care. Maybe. 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 All right. Okay, we don't, we, we don't, like, uh, okay, let me get into some questions. Unless we have a caller, let me get into some questions. This from Brian in Seattle. Uh, hi, Dave, Nastasha, Jack, and Rebecca. Well, Jack and Rebecca Rebecca's don't there. like it. Oh, Rebecca is here? Yes. Oh, nice. All right. And Liz. We'll add Liz to the list here. Uh, I remember reading in Liquid Intelligence that Dave uses 200-proof alcohol for some cocktail ingredients like a Justino's. 
but that it wasn't generally. Wait, well, that's what Stas thought the good name was, right? I think it is the Justino Fifty Four. Yeah, because Fifty Four Eldritch was our old lab, and Justino is like a Justino. We should at least just informally refer to that. It. Was actually where I like woke up in the morning and I was like, Justino Fifty Four. Because I sent it to you at like eight. eight. Or the Justino Fifty Four Thousand. Yeah, I like that. Anyway, but I think Hustino is four thousand RPM because ah, uh, but it's not. But we could. You know, I'll just I'll just call up China and be like, "Yo, China, I know that we ha- I know that we said it was going to run in more like you know like five thousand RPM, but how about fifty four hundred? They're like, but, but but no 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 no, it's a marketing thing. Yeah. Believe me, yeah. believe me. I think it's good, right? Anyway, Hustino, yeah, because like Hustino f- like four nine five eight is not such a good number. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? Fifty four hundred. Yeah. Fifty four hundred. I like that. Now we'll, we'll call. We'll, we'll like after we get off the air, we'll go. We'll call China. Okay. Then we'll wake them up. Wake them China. up from sleep. They'll be. Oh, what's wrong? They'll be like nothing. We needed <laughs> to go fifty four hundred RPM. <laughs> we'll tell you later. Okay. Uh, like Ustinos, but that it wasn't generally available to the public. In looking for some, I stumbled across a California product called Clean Extract. K L E E N Extract. And uh, they're at cleanextract.com, apparently, which purports to be 200-proof food-grade ethyl alcohol and available for shipping to the public in many states. It seems like the product is geared towards making tinctures of various herbs. What do you think about the word tinctures does? Hmm. I think it's kind of a gross word. Mm-hmm. Tincture. 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 Not as bad as spoola. Gross. Spoola. Uh, tinctures uh, uh, of various herbs, herbs in quotes. By that we mean, we mean marijuana. When someone says herb in quotes, it means pot. Did you know that? I, yeah, probably. I don't no. know. Yeah. Me, me, me. I don't know these things. Uh, <laughs> so it comes in large sizes, like one gallon plus. Would there be any problem using it in cocktails? And if not, any interesting doors it opens up uh, that 190 proof Everclear does not? I've heard that pure alcohol is hygroscopic, which it is. It absorbs water out of the air. Would this just uh, would this just extract water from the air until it hits 190, making it no better than Everclear? Love the show. Keep up the awesome work. Brian from Seattle. Uh, well... Uh, look, once you're up at 190 versus 200, the proof isn't really making that much of a difference anymore. That little bit of water isn't making a lot, lot of difference in terms of the flavors you're getting. What it, uh, The reason I hate Everclear, and no offense to the manufacturers of the product, Everclear, it sucks. It's just a r- rancid, awful, poorly made product that no matter how – I mean, we've all been to college. You've had Everclear dumped into Kool-Aid, right, Stas? I didn't go to those parties. What about you, Liz and Rebecca? <laughs> Did you have Everclear in uh, in uh, Kool-Aid situations? I went to the University of Missouri, and we, we held Everclear in high regard, so yes. Yeah, okay. So okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, you, even, when, even when it's diluted in large amounts of uh, a grape Kool-Aid, you can still smell the Everclear. From miles away. Yeah. Why? Because Everclear is a poorly made product. It's like Purell. Yeah. Uh, well, wow. Yeah, Purell. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's basically what Purell. Purell is like poorly made. Actually, mm. like like poisonous. They denatured Purell, I think. Um, anywho, so I think it's just poorly made. I think that's that's the issue. So that's my main gripe with it, not the proof. So if this clean extract is good to go, it's good to go. But you do not require. In fact, at the bar now, we use something called Technical Reserve. That's made right here in Brooklyn, uh, and uh, it's uh, 190, and that's what we use for everything. Just because you know it's pretty clean. You want 
clean, clean aroma. You could also like if you get crappy Everclear, you could put it through eighteen million uh, runs of a of like a Brita to try and strip out all the nasties. Remember when we used to put like we used to be so cheap that we would buy like you know Smirnoff and pop off vodka, and we would just sit there putting it through Brita time and time again, Brita after Brita after Brita until the stank went away, so that we used it when we were rotovapping at the school mm-hmm. back when we were allowed to rotovap alcohol. Well, not allowed. I mean, the government said it was illegal, but no one was stopping me from uh, uh, teaching. Teaching people distillation. Yes. Anyways. Okay. Um, hey, you guys want to taste? Uh, you guys in the booth want to taste cider? We need some glasses for us. Ooh, yes. Let's taste some of the cider that I made from my very own tree. We need glasses for us. Anyway. Um, okay. Uh, let me see what we got here. Truffles got an interesting question in from Arnie Olson. Uh, I found a couple of small truffles in the forest near my home in Bergen, Norway. I'm sure Bergen, Norway, no offense to New Jersey, but it's the county where I used to live is Bergen County. And I don't, yeah. Probably looks the same, right? Yeah, probably just the same. Probably just as nice. No, no, no. Uh, No offense to Bergen. Hey, look, you know what we are? Bergen. We're the gateway to New York. We got the the, uh, the George Washington Bridge. That's what we got there in Bergen. Anyway, Bergen's a fine county. No offense to us. You know what their newspaper is? The Bergen Record. The Bergen Record. Okay. Not Norway, but not Norway. Okay. Uh, they're Elaphomyces granulatis, known as deer balls. Hearts balls, heart meaning deer, not heart mean heart like H-A-R-T, not heart like, you know, Corazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearts truffles oh, or uh, Lycoperdon nuts. This is, that's from Wikipedia. And not regarded as particularly high quality. Still, I would like to make the most of them. And my question is, would rapid infusion work to make a truffle oil? Uh, I'm not very fond of truffle oil, but I can't think of any better way to use them. And they're not super aromatic, and the texture isn't great, uh, great either. Best, uh, Arnie Olson. Now, listen, uh, I, I tried to look these suckers up, and by all accounts, everyone's like, you know, maybe they're edible, barely. Maybe they're poisonous, mildly. So, like, nobody seems to know. But I'm re- reminded back of when Paul Adams, uh, our friend from Popular Science, uh, came up to Connecticut and found some bitter bolete, which doesn't taste that that good. And he made uh, bolete butter. Remember, and he yep. brought it into the to the radio program, and it was good. So I would try rather than doing oil, which you know, I would maybe do a maybe do a, a deer ball butter, right? Deer ball butter. Hmm. Hmm. By the way, uh, I, the like like Hoperdon is a puffball, and the Wikipedia, if you look that up, actually says that that word comes literally from the uh, I think Latin meaning uh, wolf farts. Hmm. Wolf farts. Have you ever eaten puffballs? No. You can eat puffballs. You know, you just have to make sure you have to cut through them and make sure that they're not an immature form of another mushroom that could kill you. But but puffballs themselves, they're okay. They're not the you know they're not the they're not the, the greatest thing. Oh, but you know what? I went to a Polish store yesterday, and. I what I've learned. We need. I need to talk to Lukasz, you know, friend of the show. Uh, that the poles have forgotten more about mushrooms than we're ever going to know. So many different pickled mushroom varieties. Huh. You know how like we just have like pickled like you know like those like the like the regular pickled mushrooms and you're like that. This is like I didn't bring them with me because they need to be chilled. But like you're gonna like this one, slippery jack mushrooms. Slippery jack mushrooms. <laughs> Honey mushrooms. Jack, yeah. yeah, yeah. When Jack comes, well, I'm glad I didn't bring it because Jack's not here to have slippery jack mushrooms, but I was going to give him some. Anyway, I need to learn more about Polish uh, mushrooms. Okay. Uh, on the truffle oil thing, I, uh, look, the whole point, apparently, and I was doing some research, there is a book 
uh, not for the uh, not for Europe, but for America. Called um, that I, I didn't get a chance to order because I just saw these questions last night. But it's actually on the list now. Things I want to order. Called uh, truffle uh, field guide to truffles of North America, and this truffle is included in it because it comes from uh, North America. And the reason the truffles apparently, and this is interesting to me, have aroma is because they want you to, if by you you mean small mammals, find you, dig you up, eat you, and crap out the spores. So that's why they have aroma. So perhaps um, one of the one of the problems uh, with the, the particular truffle that you have, the deer ball, is maybe it's not at its best because at its best it should have an aroma. But they have a longer persistence than um, like tuber melanosporum or things like this. And so they're going to remain findable in the ground uh, well past or before the point when they actually have their aroma. So if they don't have much aroma, I don't think they're going to have much of anything but try making a butter. Is that a good answer? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't tell. You want to try the – you want to – you want to go to commercial break? Yeah, and then we'll try. Let's go to commercial break, and as we come back from commercial break, we'll, we'll uh, try some cider on cooking issues. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice, and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Firesider added whole, raw, certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. Firesider, huh? I don't know. Do we have any of that stuff in-house? We could try? Liz, do we actually own that product? Um, the silence The silence means no. Silence Sorry. means no. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get it in. We'll, yeah. we'll try it. We'll talk about it. But while we're on cider, so what we have here is, look, in the back of, the, of this house that I acquired in Connecticut... Uh, there is a standard size, what looks to be similar to a Golden Delicious, but it's not. It doesn't taste exactly like Golden Delicious, but it's super high, so you can't get the apples out of it very easily. But I got one of those 12-foot pool poles with a little picker on the end of it and got enough off to make uh, uh, some, you know, like, like eight gallons of cider. And uh, I wanted to make a very kind of particular kind of cider. So here's what I did that's, that's different from normal. First of all, I don't have a cider press, so I juiced it all in a champion juicer. Yes, because I'm that much of a masochist and an idiot. <laughs> so I juiced it all in a masticating juicer. Also, I didn't want to have like a typical kind of oxidized cider taste. So I hit the cider with ascorbic – I hit the, the juice with ascorbic acid as soon as it was juiced. I did not – Add pectinase to the enzyme, because uh, 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 SPL to it before fermentation, because I knew that apples like this typically lose a lot of their character when they're spun out. They're not like a high, a high like a flavor apple, like an Ashmead's kernel, where where the juice is delicious even after all the solids are out of it. So I wanted to ferment it on its solids. So I doped it with yeast. 
um, I added a small amount of sugar because they were fairly low bricks and uh, put them in five-gallon buckets and did a primary fermentation for a couple of weeks at them at relatively cool temperatures because the house is relatively cool. And then here is where I uh, differed. After the primary, I added uh, SPL and uh, swirled them around to drop the stuff uh, out. Then I put the uh, I put the entire batch through the Justino fifty four hundred fifty four hundred <laughs> uh, to get rid of like a lot of the flock and yeast sediment in it that was was left and got a pre cleared thing. But here is another trick I used, people, that I think is uh, you know I don't know whether anyone else d- does this, but because I was introducing that oxygen there, I didn't want a, a high vinegar note on it. I wanted the acidity to stay what it was, and I didn't want it to oxidize. So what I did is I immediately semi-carbonated it while it was warm. I didn't want to highly carbonate it, but I semi-carbonated it in two-liter bottles using a carbonation rig. You could do it in a keg if you had one. Poured them, semi-carbonated into bottles that I had added the dosage to, capped them, and then let them bottle condition for a couple of weeks. So here we have it. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, folks in the booth. Rebecca, Liz. We like. It's good, right? Yep. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, very tasty for all you listeners out there. All my chat room friends. Yeah, so this is like it's still very, very tart because it's a fairly high uh, acid. I was able to literally beat another batch of apples off the tree that are lower in acid. So I'm going to try to make kind of a less uh, tart one. But the idea here is like the, um, for this kind of cider, a minimal amount of oxidation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. And the answer, my friends, is ascorbic acid and a little precarbonation before the uh, bottle conditioning. I wish I had some cheddar cheese. That'd be good. Wouldn't that be good? Mm-hmm. Some really super sharp cheddar cheese. Mm-hmm. And some crackers. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? We're simple people, Nastasia and I. Like good. I don't even need like hyper expensive. I just need nice sharp. Like mm-hmm. like what I what I if someone like parachuted in here with a, like a, a wheel of Montgomery's uh, you know uh, cheddar from Neil's yard, like would we turn them down? No, we would kill them and steal the cheese. Needed, but. You know, I don't even need necessarily that mm-hmm. high quality. Mm-mm. And on that note, we have another caller. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, caller? You were, well, are they going to talk about killing people? Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave, this is Colin down in D.C. How you I'm doing? just calling in because you got a guy calling, this Alex G. fellow calling in last week, asking about some sweet potato caramel syrup. Right. And uh, it was me that called in. About that, about, I don't know, two or three years ago. All right, so what happened? Uh, Let us know what happened. He must have been remembering back to. So, just figured I could call in and give uh, him and everyone else like just real fast update on that stuff. Do um, it. Do it. The, the syrup, right, that I've been able to reproduce pretty successfully. The biggest key, really, is start with a really high bricks sweet potato. If you can get heart of gold... Those are your best option. Otherwise, just try whatever you can get uh, locally and just experiment and see what works. But you get best yields out of Heart of Gold because they're high bricks, easy to work with. I cannot believe you just uh, put that song in my head. I'm so angry that that song's in my head. Heart of Gold. It's like it's never going to leave now. It's going to be there like for- Oh, man. Oh, man. But, uh, I mean, I had the benefit. Of, there's a, just some retired guy, retired professor in Maryland who's got a, you know, uh, one acre, two acre sweet potato farm, and he put like 14 tons of potatoes in. So I got them there. I don't know where anyone else will get them, but experiment beyond that, and you'll still get a good product. But we'll just give the easy. procedure really quickly. Just give the procedure. Yeah, so procedure is 
juice them out in a, you know, cube them up, juice them in champion juicer. Uh, kind of, uh, you're going to end up with a kind of starchy juice. Add some pectin X to that and some amylase. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Which amylase do you use? Reg- regular, uh, do you, uh, regular beer house I amylase? The, I just get the whatever they get at brew shops okay. and just use a bunch of it. And uh, it helps it out. Uh, circ that out at maybe 65 or 70 C for a day. And you'll see that uh, you'll get a kind of clear liquid on the top. of, uh, And a lot of the starch will settle out at the bottom. And a real key here is decant that clear liquid, reduce it down into a caramel syrup or just a car- like actual candy caramel as you would normally. Uh, the key here is like not getting any starch in. If you get starch in, it just sort of turns more into like a pudding, which is also awesome, but not what you're going for if you're trying for the caramel. Uh, I think that's about it. If, there's, if anyone else, I guess, has questions, they can follow them up and you could tweet it out or whatever. But I just thought I'd take the opportunity to clear that up. Yeah, are, you, are you a part of our chat room? Because people might ask you questions right now. If you were to log into the, to the chat room, people might ask you questions like right now. Uh, yeah, I'm on it. I can, uh, they can ask questions. I've, I'm out and about for like another 20 minutes, but I'll be back if that stays live. Uh, I, I don't know. Liz, does it stay live? Yeah, it's always live. Uh-huh. It's however lively right. you make it. Well, do uh-huh. it. I'm on it and do it. Cool. Uh, I'll sign off and yeah. Wait, Liz, are you saying it's like Tinkerbell and you just have to keep believing in it and it stays alive? Yeah, I mean, minus the whole dust thing, but we don't have dust. We don't have dust. We have pixie dust. If only Jack were here, he he would know. Man, we just like you know, like we always we get close and we don't quite make it there. We all all, we just do. Hey, uh, I could buy the pixie dust. It's available Amazon Prime, but no, I'm not going to buy it. Right? We just get so close. Hey, can I give a shout out to a listener? Yeah, Anthony Scardino. I made his life. What 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 was that? He was he's missing a clamp screw. Oh, and you sent the clamp screw to Well, him? no, I just responded to his email. Oh, nice. Well, that's, that's, that's quite nice. Uh, oh, by the way, I loved when uh, you insulted one of... Uh, I loved that tweet. I tweeted at him. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he tweeted back his Christmas list to us, the picture of it. And the fifth thing on the Christmas list was <laughs> get insulted by the co-host of his favorite uh, podcast. And he's like, check number five off. That was perhaps <laughs> the greatest tweet that I have ever received in my whole life. Yeah. I like. I was on the floor. My wife was on the floor. <laughs> By the way, Stas and Jack are going to try to get my wife into the yes. uh, into the program. Yes. I don't know. Like uh, for any of you out there that want to, I don't know why you would want to ask my wife a, a question. Christmas special. Yeah? yeah. I don't know. Anyway, okay. Uh, question in: Would Dave uh, use equilibrium uh, equilibrium brining uh, chicken fingers? Um, in other words, brining them. I presume uh, from, from Joan. I, I presume that. Uh, What's meant here is brining the chicken fingers until they are in equilibrium with the brine around them. I have never done that. Uh, that would take, uh, I think, quite quite a while. Um, and, this, and then the question is, is there a refractometer uh, that I would recommend? Um, I'm enjoying the show. Best regards. I don't know. I've never done it that way. Like, uh, I mean, definitely that's the way when you're pickling, when you're doing like brine soak on meats over a long period of time. You know, you definitely what you, you know you 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 make your brine based on the total weight of brine and uh, meat, and then you check it with um, 
you can check it either with uh, you know one of the uh, density based things like uh, you know the floating guys, or you can get a refractometer. I don't know because I've never measured salinity with a refractometer. I don't know how accurate they are over the range of interest for meats because it's not going to be high. Uh, remember, you're you're going probably fairly if you're going to brine to an equilibrium point, you're down low, like you know three percent or less, two to three percent in that range. Um, so it's going to be relatively tiny amounts, and so I don't know whether I don't know how accurate a refractometer, uh, a regular refractometer, is going to be for salinity at those levels. But I can look into it. I didn't get a chance to look into it, but I, I, I can look into it. But I, you know, in general, what I do is I, you know, I only I'm brining for a couple of hours. I don't do on chicken fingers. They they brine relatively quickly, and I don't really do an equal, equilibrium thing. You think that's okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Randy writes in. What? Someone? When oh, you guys we in? no. We we do have a caller. If All you're right, interested, right. I am totally interested. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. How's it going? All right. This is Chris from the Green Zone in DC. Uh, how you doing? Good. 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 So I can't wait for the Hustino 5400 because it directly relates to my question. Nice. Um, I called back a while ago about keeping, you know, mint from turning green and also clarifying and filters versus whatever else. Sure. I made another batch of my herbal liqueur, and I did it two ways. I did a different thing for the fresh and for the dry ingredients. For the fresh, I just put it in an ISI, like fresh mints and other herbs, and it came out bright electric green. It was awesome. It was relatively clear. All the gunk that was in there settled out immediately. I could just rack it off. Fantastic. Nice. And then for the dry stuff, so both spices and herbs, I did it in uh, a circulator in a bag. And it came out to be a very dark green. It was a bit cloudy, and I spent a while filtering it in paper towels and coffee filters. Eventually got it pretty clear, dark green. I figured I'd mix the two. Mixed them together. Got the same, you know, halfway point in the green colors. And then since I'm going, I'm sort of making my own version of chartreuse, which I've heard is sweetened with honey, I added, I made a honey syrup and slowly added it in. It instantly went cloudy and disgusting brown, and I thought that maybe it had louched or something, the way like an absinthe or an ouzo would. Right. Uh, But then I left it overnight, and all the stuff that was still making it slightly green had settled on the bottom, and what I got was just a pure brown, clear liquid on top. So... In these green infusions and liqueurs and stuff, is the is the is the chlorophyll dissolved in the alcohol, or is it just really tiny little particles floating around? In, What's going in on? well, chartreuse is colored with uh, purified chlorophyll from spinach. Sure. After after it's made, because they're doing a distillation, right? Then an age down, and then they're just doping it back with uh, the with. Uh, you know, it depends on whether you're talking green or yellow, right? Yellow is obviously yeah. higher in honey. Have you tr- did you try doping it with regular sugar? I mean, I wonder what was going on. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I did it. I did it with sugar the last batch I made, and it still ended up being really brown. Um, like it went from you know, being green and stable. Is, it went from being green and stable to brown yeah. instantly. But what was the original proof before you added the uh, syrup? Oh, I mean, it was it was ever clear, so it was one you know close to 190. Oh. So it really, yeah, huh, huh. So, yeah. so you were adding a good amount of liquid to it, much more. In other words, like so, it's not like you were dealing with something that was relatively low in proof, like fifty percent. And then no, you're, no, you're no. Yeah, adding. Yeah, I had almost a liter, or a bit more, actually more than a liter, 
of the uh, Everclear strength stuff, and then I added almost a liter of honey syrup. So there's something in there that is oxidizable that, I mean, it couldn't, it wouldn't be enzymatic because, like, uh, most of, like, right. polyphenol oxidase enzymes are going to be inactivated at that super well, high, uh, at that super yeah. high proof. Like, when I say inactivated here's, and destroyed. Here's the other thing. The stuff that settled out eventually was actually green. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And so now I've got a layer of green sludge, and I've got a layer of brown clear liquid. Okay, so the brown is probably what color it it always probably had that brown in it, and it was just overwhelmed by the green. I'm pretty sure that okay. like that that's what's going on there. So then the question is, why did it suddenly flock? Have you tried doing the reverse? Have you tried adding uh, um, a small amount? of the green to a large amount of water just to see whether or not it stays or whether it flocks together. Like you might, as you go through this small stage where it's still relatively high proof, but now there's some water, like all the stuff might instantly aggregate. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, I haven't tried it like that. I would try it and see what happens. Mm. Uh, does the brown stuff taste delicious or does it not taste the same either? No, it's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't look very attractive. Have you tried, especially with the name Green Zone? Have you tried? Um, have you tried? Um, you, have you added any to water as though it was a bitters before you added any sweetener to it? Did I add what to water? Have sorry? you ever have you ever used it like as a bitters, just adding a little bit to water before? It, with, oh no, I haven't. I haven't tried that. I would. I'd be interested to see what happens, whether it stays clear, whether it flocks together, and someone else in the uh, in the on the chat room maybe has some ideas on this. But yeah, this is a it's some sort of weird thing that's happening as you're adding water to the system. So I would try going in the other direction and see whether or not you can prevent it from happening. Um, yeah. But something is going from I don't. It, it could either be going from soluble to not, or it could be going from. Uh, Stable to all of a sudden flocking. It sounds like the stuff's flocking together. Most yeah, most stuff that looshes. Yeah, I thought it was a loose kind of like absinthe or something, but I don't think it would settle out so quickly. Well, yeah, loose loose stuff tends to not settle. It tends to float to the top. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, if you were to if you were to like uh, uzo something out, loose it, and then let it sit for a week, you'll get the stuff usually on top, not on bottom. Hmm. So you're getting something that's heavier than alcohol that's settling yeah, out. I mean, I filtered it through, like, layer after layer of coffee filters. I'm really surprised there's that much solid stuff to settle out. Well, the other thing you know is you could have, like, solids in there that then they could be charged. It could be, like, a charged particle that then then uh, attaches oh, to the see. color and then spins it out. So, you know, you never you – never, it's hard to say, but I would try to do the reverse experiment see whether you can stop it from happening. Cool. All right. Well, in the meantime, cannot wait for the centrifuge. Uh, okay, and, and also in the meantime, make you some uh, make you some spinach do, uh, juice and do it the way the monks do it. How do how do I do that? Just blend up some spinach and dehydrate it. Uh, no, they. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done it. Like you cook it, you got to get the initial stuff out, then you blend it, and then you squeeze it, and you get the chlorophyll juice, and then that stuff's pretty stable. I have to go look at the it, protocol it for it. Doesn't taste like spinach. No, no, not when you're done with it. Now when you're done with it, you want to get cool. just the just the clear the the clear stuff. I made some delicious parsley oil in the Hustino 54, by the way, and I want to make I want to make a drink that it has ticaloid stabilized uh, parsley oil in it. Wouldn't that be good? Mm-hmm. That'd be delicious. Mm-hmm. And that stuff stays a green green for a long time because there's no water in it; it's all oil. Right, right, right. 
Anyway, try some of this stuff out and let me know what happens. Uh, so so cool. in the chat room, they want to know uh, what you think about that bacon thing from World Health Organization. Well, um, tell me about it. I, I, was, no one I, I don't know what it is. Do you know, Rebecca? They said it's a number one carcinogen now. On number one? But like, oh, bacon is more carcinogenic than cigarettes? No, no, no. Okay. It's in the Group same level person. category. That's what they're saying. I mean, based on what data? I you could read you stuff if you want, but I don't have anything. I will read it. I will, I will read the data, but in general, like, I am loath to believe any of that, any of that kind of, uh, it's just like. Because. Why? Because main, like, if you look at it, like, some, like someone will do a study with a bunch of kind of related risks and they'll add a bunch of stuff together that doesn't, that has no meaning. Like, I, I guarantee you that there is not some giant cohort study where the only difference between group A and group B is bacon. <laughs> and then and then, you know, like, you know, half of the people on the bacon side are dropping like flies, right? I mean, it's just I guarantee that that's not the case. I will look at the data, but I would be willing to bet a a a chunk of money that if I did look into it, I would come back and say that this is some horse hockey. Horse hockey? Horse hockey. Okay. Now all the vegans and vegetarians are like, I told you we were right. Now look, you know, whatever. You know what? And like they say sassafras will kill you too. You're not allowed. Hey, vegans and vegetarians, you should be able to have uh, real honest to God saffron root beer and you can't because someone told you that it's going to cause cancer. And you know what? I don't know. I think the data is just bad. I think the data is just bad. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked at the bacon data, so I have no idea. I'm not – like I have no knowledge. But anyway, so let me rip through this real quick before I get ripped off the air. Uh, I'm, uh, this is from Randy. I'm making a boneless leg of lamb this weekend and wondered if this is a good way to do it. Cook it uh, uh, low temp for 55 degrees C for 10 hours. Then throw it in a 500 degree oven until it hits a final temperature of 60 degrees C. Uh, I want to do it this way because I'm worried that if I were to sous vide at the final temperature, the time it would take to properly brown it will overcook it. Thanks, Randy. Do this instead. Do this instead. Cook it at uh, medium uh, r- medium rare, like 57 or something like this, um, and do it for a long time to tenderize it, you know, as long as you have. Then uh, for four hours, three, two, somewhere between three and four hours before you have to serve it, pull it out of the, uh, of the bath, right? Four hours before you serve it, pull it out of the bath. Open it up, let the surface dry off, cool it down in the open air for several hours, right? Uh, and then, like, as it starts cooling down, throw it into your a billion degree oven, and then uh, you can brown it, and it will have cooled enough that it won't overcook but you'll also still be good on the inside, and I think that's a better way to go. That's how I typically do uh, that kind of stuff. You can, in fact, uh, let it cool all the way down and then just roast it in super high uh, heat oven and be good. Or you can chill it in water and do it, but that's what I would do. And uh, we have uh, – I got to read this or Ken's going to rip my head off, right? Because we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're about yeah. to be, we're about to be yeah, yeah, yeah. ripped Reduce, off the air. Yes. There's something else we needed to talk about today. What was it? Oh, the Pharaoh's Coffee coffee Grinder. I'm not going to get to talk about the Pharaoh's Coffee Grinder. Is anyone interested in the Pharaoh's Coffee Grinder? No. Stas is not interested. I think there are some people who are interested. It's a very good grinder. Needs some modifications. I have a uh, I have a bunch of uh, STL files that people can print that I'm going to put up on the on on my Twitter account eventually so that people can modify their Ferros grinders. Okay. Uh, Ken writes. 
Uh, I was a little disappointed that an entire show was not devoted to my last email on Parmenides and the epistemology, uh, the epistemology of the sandwich. Although uh, I might be a little behind on the podcast. No, we did not go into it on a, for a whole thing. Although the sandwich has been brought up several times. I'm not going to get into it now because I'm just going to go crazy if I do. Undaunted, I write again and ask, could this idea amount to something? Consider that most slow cooker meat recipes require initial searing in a separate vessel because you cannot get the Maillard reaction in a traditional slow cooker. Except for the dump and go meals. What are they called? Dump uh, meals? No, yeah, dump. Yeah. Dump meals. Mm-hmm. Oh, terrible idea, dump meals. Uh, similarly... Um, uh, usually a reverse issue with sous vide cooking. Uh, we have the ability to add various umami elements to cooking, such as anchovies, marmite, mushrooms, soy uh, sauce, fish sauce, uh, and uh, somewhere in the same neighborhood are products like liquid smoke. Uh, don't forget coconut aminos. Do you like coconut aminos, stuff? I don't know. Coconut aminos. Do you like the name? Sure. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, I have this dim memory of Dave getting some press years ago for a burger, not the ketchup soup dumpling thing, but another process in which he cooked meat separate from the burger to extract some flavor to add later. So with that as a background, could there be manufactured, self-stabilized, freeze-dried Maillard powder uh, or a group of powders with a fairly wide utility? If this is a worthy idea to pursue, then in lieu of a MacArthur Genius Award, I would be happy with a Booker Index, uh, I don't know, maybe a Booker Index Award. Best Kenningberg. Well, what I used to do is I would make like hyper thick uh, I would like roast the hell out of a lot of meat and then just uh, make like a hyper broth of that and then reduce that down and then circulate meat in that hyper in that hyper broth so the entire inside of the hamburger uh, tasted like uh, this kind of hyper broth so it was a little bit poached but it was okay because then I was going to pull it out and sear the hell out of it anyway but the, because what I noticed when you're doing a lot of low temp cooking is that you never have a lot of those high heat flavors on the meat even if you do a post sear on it so that's why like you know if we're dealing with like uh, short ribs and stuff uh, uh, there's textural reasons as well but taste reasons why it's never going to taste quite the same so I would do it people make meat extracts like the flavor industry makes meat extracts and we could and, and like conceivably you could buy like a hyper meat extract uh, that you know was all brown and stuff that didn't have eight boatloads of salt in it which is the reason why you can't use bouillon cubes and stuff like that because the bouillon cube is MSG which all of you know I have no problem with necessarily even though I don't really use it uh, salt which unfortunately would add a lot and then the rest of it is like these flavors so yeah someone doesn't someone make meat straight meat extract any of you guys British? What about Bovril? What's Bovril? No one's British here? No. Anyway. I don't know. We'll work on it. Let anyone know. Come into the chat room. Next time I'll talk about Pharos and some other stuff. Talk about the first week of the museum exhibit on cooking issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.